Welcome to the third episode of the Affirm Arena podcast, titled Being Uncomfortable. I'm Gabe, and let's get started. Welcome to the Affirm Arena Podcast, where we focus on getting you exactly what you want in life by affirming what you want in life. And you know, life is short, my friends. You only get one shot. One shot at the belt. The question is whether you're going to fight or not. Are you just going to let this opportunity pass you by? I think that would be pretty foolish, and you know it. You don't want to let it pass you by. You want to win. You want to grow. You want to achieve. You want to try. And to try to achieve, you need to get uncomfortable. Anytime you want to achieve something that you do not already have, then you have to get uncomfortable in order to get there. This is why it's called hard work. It's not easy work. It's hard work. And you want it to be hard. Because it'll make you grow. If you want growth, then you need to go to where the pain is. Where the suffering is. Where it's uncomfortable. Again, you want it to be hard because it keeps the people away who don't want it bad enough. There's less competition in those areas of life that are uncomfortable. People like the easy route. They like to choose the path of least resistance. So if it gets uncomfortable, you're going to find that there's not much competition there for you. So that means there's more for you. You want it to be hard because it allows you to truly appreciate success. When something's easy, you don't really appreciate the time that went into it because very little time and effort went into it. But when something's hard, when it required you getting uncomfortable to achieve it, and then you achieve it, you truly appreciate that journey, that long, hard road all the obstacles that you overcame. You know, there's a clip of former President Nixon that I absolutely love. Uh, In this clip, he talks about Teddy Roosevelt, and he reads an excerpt from his diary. Now, this is a clip of President Nixon talking when he was actually exiting office. But again, he's going to be reading from Teddy Roosevelt's diary. And in this excerpt from the diary, he discusses how President Roosevelt started as a lawyer, how he had a wife who died, unfortunately, and how he almost gave up on life when that happened, as you can imagine how hard that could be. But he kept on living and achieving despite that, which I think is phenomenal because there are a lot of people out there that would kind of roll over and give up when something so tragic could happen in someone's life. But again, he kept on living and achieving, and 
as you know, he eventually became president of the United States. Actually, the youngest president ever. And by the way, he was awarded the Medal of Honor, the Nobel Prize. I mean, he was quite successful. And as Nixon reads this excerpt, you can hear the emotion in his voice as he experiences the emotions of Roosevelt when he lost his wife. And Nixon's conclusion after reading this was that only when you've been in the deepest valleys can you know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. And I absolutely love that. And I'm going to play that clip for you. So here it is. Pretty good one. It's another one I found as I was reading my last night in the White House. And this quote is about a young man. It was a young lawyer in New York. He'd married a beautiful girl. And they had a lovely daughter. And then suddenly, she died. And this is what he wrote. <clears throat> this was in his diary. He said, she was beautiful in face and form and lovelier still in spirit. As a flower she grew and as a fair young flower, she died. Her life had been always in the sunshine. There had never come to her a single great sorrow. None ever knew her who did not love and revere her for her bright and sunny temper and her saintly unselfishness. Fair pure and joyous as a maiden, loving, tender, and happy as a young wife. When she had just become a mother, when her life seemed to be just begun, and then the years seemed so bright before her, then by a strange and terrible fate, Death came to her. And when my heart's dearest died, <clears throat> died, the light went from my life forever. That was T.R. <clears throat> in his 20s. He thought the life had gone from his life forever, but he went on. And he not only became president, but as an ex-president, he served his country always in the arena, tempestuous, strong, sometimes wrong, sometimes right. But he was a man. And as I leave, let me say, that's an example I think all of us should remember. We think sometimes when things happen that 
don't go the right way. We think that when you don't pass the bar exam the first time, I happened to, but I was just lucky. I mean, my writing was so poor, the bar examiner said, we just got to let the guy through. <laughs> we think that when someone dear to us dies, we think that when we lose an election, we think that when we suffer a defeat, that all is ended. We think, as T.R. said, that the light had left his life forever. Not true. It's only a beginning, always. The young must know it. The old must know it. It must always sustain us. Because the greatness comes not when things go always good for you, but the greatness comes and you're really tested when you take some knocks, some disappointments, when sadness comes. Because only if you've been in the deepest valley can you ever know how magnificent it is to be on the highest mountain. Yeah, and I love that clip because I think it reminds you that the journey, the process, it's all worth it. You know, getting to the, the finish line, the goal is great, but it's when you have put in a lot of work, you've had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears poured into your, your efforts, and then you get the payoff. It truly makes you appreciate it, as opposed to maybe something being just given to you, right? Um, so... Yeah, I, I think, you know, your journey, it, it needs to be hard. You need to feel pain and suffering. You need to feel uncomfortable. You know, there's people out there that they want they want to change. They want to grow. They want to transform. But they don't want that inconvenience. They don't want to feel the grind. And, you know, I think that's what most people want. The path of least resistance. Easy street. But easy street doesn't exist. And since it doesn't exist, most people never make a move. Or if they do, they don't really stick with it. Everyone wants transformation. Their goal. Achievement. Everybody wants the prize. But only a select few are willing to be a prize fighter. I'm a big boxing fan and you see a prize fighter starts out at the bottom. Where there is little reward but a whole lot of risk. The prize fighter gets pummeled time and time again. Sure, he may win, but he'll probably take a few blows to the head. He'll have some scars, some damage to show for it. Hell, even if he wins, he definitely took a beating one way or another, maybe in training. And if the prize fighter does all of this with little to show for it, maybe this small insignificant cash prize, enough maybe to keep the electricity running for another month, enough to do a grocery run or maybe get his bike fixed so he doesn't have to walk to the gym anymore. You know, everybody wants the prize, but nobody wants to be the prize fighter that has to go through the grind 
People tend to mentally give up and check out because they feel overwhelmed. This is what happens when you don't have a plan. Things start to get difficult. Things start to get overwhelming. And since you don't see an end in sight, you give up. You check out. There is no easy road. And everybody encounters difficulties. This includes anyone who has ever achieved anything great. This is what defines greatness. It's all about overcoming obstacles. It's about tearing down the walls. It's about creating something from nothing. Name anyone, and you'll find that they had to overcome some pretty massive obstacles. Take Sylvester Stallone, one of the most successful actors in history. He had to overcome some pretty amazing obstacles to launch his career. And he really took off with the movie that we all know and love, Rocky. And so I'm going to play a quick clip for you guys. And this one is spoken by Tony Robbins, and he's actually going to tell you the story of how Sylvester Stallone got Rocky onto the big screen. And so it's a pretty amazing story, some pretty significant obstacles. He was dead broke. So check it out. I think you guys are going to like it a lot. How about uh, Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky? Rocky's story is this even, right? But Sly's is too. Sly's a good friend of mine. And when I first met him years ago, he's listening to my tapes and stuff, and he invited me over for dinner, and we started talking. And I said, you know, I've heard your story from other people, but I'd really love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't know how much is mythology, you know, urban myth, and how much is true. So he told me his whole story. He said the essence of it, though, was he said he knew his whole life what he wanted to do since he was very, very young. He wanted to be in the movie business, period. I mean, not just TV, movies. And he, just, he said why was, for him, it was a chance to have people not only escape, but to inspire people. And by the way, that drive is what made most of his movies, inspire people to what they're capable of, to overcome unbelievable obstacles, because in his own life, he felt like he did that. When he was born, he was pulled out by the forceps. That's why he looked the way he did. That's why he talked the way he did. And he said, so I really want to do that. And he said, I knew why I want to do it, and I wasn't willing to settle for anything else. And he said, what happened was, I went out to try and get jobs, and it's not like I went, hey, Adrian, they went, you, you're a star. It didn't work out real well. They looked at me and said, hey, you're stupid looking. Do something else. You know, like this. there's no place for you in that stuff. You're never going to be a star in the movies. You're insane. No one's going to want to listen to somebody who looks dopey and talks out of the side of their mouth, right? And he got no after no after no after no. He said, I was thrown out more, more than 1,500 times of agents' offices in New York. I said, there aren't 1,500 agents in New York. He said, I know. I've been to them five, six, seven, eight, nine times. He said, I remember one guy went in there, and I got in there at 4 o'clock, and he wouldn't see me, so I stayed there, and I would not leave. And I stayed overnight. They came back the next morning. I was still sitting there. He said, that's how I got my first job. The guy said, fine, come in here. And he sat down, and he went through this, and he gave my first movie. I said, oh, really? I thought Rocky was your first movie. He said, no, this other movie. I'd never heard of it. He said, I said, well, what character did you play? He said, well, I was in it for about 20 seconds. I was a thug that somebody beat up. He said, because they made me feel like, you know, if somebody, if people hate your guts. You getting beat up, it'll be a good thing. And he did like three movies like that. Never got anything. Kept going out. Rejection, rejection, rejection. So finally he realized it wasn't working. So he changed his approach. He said, I was starving, by the way. He said, I couldn't pay for even to have heat in my apartment. My wife was screaming at me every day to go get a job. I said, well, why didn't you? He said, because I knew that if I got a job, he said, I'd get seduced back and I'd lose my hunger. 
He said, I knew that the only way I could do this is if it was the only choice, if I burned all other bridges. Because if I did a normal job, pretty soon I'd be caught up in that rhythm and that stuff, and I'd feel okay about my life, and I'd feel like my dream would just gradually disappear. And he said, I wanted to keep that hunger. That hunger was the only thing I thought was my advantage. He said, my wife didn't understand that at all. He said, we'd have these vicious fights. And he said, it was freezing. So I was broke. We had no money. And he said, so I finally went to the public library one day because it was warm. He said, I didn't want to read anything. So I went in, New York Public Library. He said, I was hanging out there, and I sat down in this chair, and somebody left a book there. And he said, I looked down at this book, and it were the poems of Edgar Allan, stories of Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, so I started reading it, and he said, I got totally into Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, I know everything about it. And he goes on for another 20 minutes telling me about Edgar Allan Poe. He knows everything, how he died, what it was about, what really happened. And I said, well, what did Poe do for you? He said, Poe got me out of myself. He got me to think about how I could touch other people and not worry about myself so much. And he said, it made me decide to become a writer. I said, just imagine Rocky the writer, right? And he said, so I tried to write a bunch of screenplays. Nothing worked, nothing worked. I were totally broke. He said, I didn't even have 50 bucks. And he said, and finally, he said, I sold a script. And it was called Paradise Alley. He said, it's a movie I made many years later, but I sold it. And he said, I sold it for 100 bucks. He said, but 100 bucks was a ton of money, man. I was so thrilled. I thought, I'm on my way. But it never led to anything. And he said, so finally, he said, I kept going and going and going. He said, finally, we were so broke. He said, I hawked my wife's jewelry. He said, Tony, there's some things in life you should never do. <laughs> he said, that was basically the end of our relationship. She hated my gut so much. He said, now we were so broke, we had nothing, no food, no money. And he said, the one thing I loved most in the world was my dog. He said, I love my dog because he gave me unconditional love, unlike my wife. And he said, so what happened was, though, we were so broke that to survive, I couldn't even feed my dog. So I went to a liquor store. He said, it was the lowest day of my life. And I stood outside the liquor store trying to sell my dog to strangers. He said, I tried to sell my dog for 50 bucks. And he said, this, finally, this one guy negotiated with me and bought my dog for me, my best friend on earth, for $25. He said, I walked away from there and I cried. He said, it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. He said, two weeks later, I'm watching a fight between Muhammad Ali and Weppner, this white guy that's getting bludgeoned but just keeps on coming. And he said, I got an idea. He said, I, as soon as the fight ended, I started writing. He said, I wrote for 20 straight hours. I did not sleep. I wrote the entire movie in 20 hours straight. Right then, saw the fight, wrote the movie, whole thing, done. He said, I was shaking at the end. I was so excited. He said, I really knew, man. I knew what I wanted. I knew why I wanted it. He said, just like you teach that formula. He said, but I said, man, I took the action. Now it's time to deliver. And so he said, I went out and started trying to sell it to agents. And they all would read it and they'd say, you know, this is predictable. This is stupid. This is sappy. He said, I wrote down all the things they said, and I read them the night of the Oscars when we won. Right? He said, it was really good, right? So the greatest revenge is massive success. <laughs> and he said, so what happened was, he said, I kept going, trying to sell it, trying to sell it, nobody going, I'm broke, I'm starving. He said, finally, I meet these guys, they read it, and they believe in the script, and they love it. And they offer me $125,000 for my script. I said, oh my God, you must have been out of your mind. He said, I was. I said, just one thing though, guys, you got a deal based on one thing. And they said, what's that? He said, I got a star in it. They went, Pff. what are you talking about? You're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. He said, no, 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 you're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. That is my story and I'm Rocky. He said, I got to play it. You know, I got to be the head person. I got to be the starring role. And they said, there's no way. We're not going to pay you $125,000, take some no name and stick you in that and throw our money away. We need a star. You know, and they want to have Ryan O'Neal play Rocky to give you a picture. Can you imagine? That's who they picked, right? 
And so he said, no way, Ryan O'Neill isn't Rocky, I'm Rocky, went through this whole thing, right? And they finally, he said, they said, well, take it or leave it. He said, I left the room. I said, if that's what you believe, you don't get my script, and he left. Here's a man with no money, none, totally broke, offered $125,000, more money than seen in his lifetime, and he walked away because he knew his real what? Knew his real what? And why he wanted, he was committed to it. So he said, they called him a few weeks later, and they came and brought him back, and they offered him a quarter of a million dollars not to star in his own movie. He turned it down, $250,000. They came back, their final offer was $325,000. They wanted this thing. He said, not without me, and they said no. They finally compromised, and they gave him $35,000 and points in the movie, because they said, if this is going to happen, then you're going to take the risk with us. And the bottom line is, we don't think it'll work, but at least we won't spend a bunch of money on you. And they only spent a million dollars to make Rocky, and it grossed $200 million at the time. I, I mean, it was done pretty well. But what's interesting about this is, here's, I said, what'd you do? I mean, even 35000 it's not a quarter of a million. That's a lot of money when you don't have 25 bucks. I said, what's the first thing you did? I figured you went out and partied or something. He said, I went to that liquor store for three straight days and hoped that the man who had my dog frequented the store. He said, because I want to buy back my dog. I thought that was so cool, right? That was really cool. I said, what happened? He said, third day I was there, this guy walks by, and I see him, and I can't believe it, and there's my dog. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, remember me? And he said, it had been about a month and a half by the time this had all come about. And he said, remember me? You know, I'm the guy that sold you the dog. And I goes, yeah, yeah, I love the dog. He said, well, look. He said, I was so broke, I was starving. He's my best friend. I'm sure you love him too, but I gotta have him black. Please, I beg of you. He said, I'll pay you $100 for the dog. I know you paid me 25, but I'll give you 100. And the man said, absolutely not, no way. He's my dog now, you can't buy him back. Right? And Sly said, you know, Tony, you know how you say, know your outcome? I said, yeah. He said, I knew it. And he said, I kept changing my approach. So I went, $500 for the dog. The guy said, absolutely no way. He said, $1,000 for my dog. The guy said, no amount of money on earth is ever going to get this dog from you. I said, what'd you do? He said, I knew my outcome, right? Because he listened to these tapes, kept to him. He said, I said, I take massive action. He said, I got my dog. I just kept changing my approach, so I got it. I said, what'd it cost you? $15,000 and a part in Rocky. The guy's in Rocky. You know that dog in Rocky, Butt Kiss? That's Sly's real dog, right? That's the dog. He bought him back. So, so he put his dog in the movie and he put the guy in the movie and paid 15 grand when he had 35000 Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty awesome. So if you want success, you must be willing to put up with being uncomfortable. You know, I remember reading the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and he talks in that book about distress, which I think we're all familiar with what distress is, um, and then eustress. And when you compare distress versus eustress, so distress is when we get stressed out because we're anxious about something or we're worried about something or... Um, We've got a lot of work on our plate, and we don't know what to do next. We're getting overwhelmed. That's distress. Maybe you feel like your life is being threatened. That's, that's distress. It's bad. But you stress is actually a good thing, and you stress is the type of stress that you would experience, let's say, when you're at the gym and you're working your muscles, or maybe you're, at tra you're in training for boxing and your coach is 
putting you through the ringer. Like you're 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 under stress, but it's called you stress. It's good stress. It's it's leading to growth. And so again, this is all about being uncomfortable. And so there is a type of stress that's actually beneficial for you, and that would be you stress. You know, when you think about some of the training that our military goes through, think about SEAL training, for instance. It's all about being uncomfortable. When you think about BUDS, which is Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL School, we put our trainees through that. You know, it's all about being uncomfortable to get to that prize, to becoming a SEAL. These trainees are constantly put in cold water. They're constantly wet and cold. I mean, all the time. Uh, They're constantly undergoing physical and mental exertion. So all while being reminded that all they have to do is quit. All they have to do is ring the bell and they can go home and relax. And so that training that they go through is all about being uncomfortable. And can you deal with it? Can you put up with it? Will you stick through it? Because in combat, we want to know that you're not going to quit in the middle of a fight. So they make it as uncomfortable as possible for a long period of time. And they see who is willing to uh, stay through to the end. You know, I remember uh, listening to Usain Bolt talk about his training when he's getting ready for competition. And he would say that the race is the easy part. The training is where the real work is done. And that is so true. I mean, think about so many sports, but even think about any type of stage, whether it be acting, whether it be uh, business. Like, it's all about the work that you do behind the scenes. And then when it comes time to perform, that's the easy part. You've already trained for that. You know, I really do think that people who were born wealthy and born into uh, an affluent lifestyle are pretty screwed in the sense that they don't really understand what it's like to be uncomfortable. It's those of you out there who have really come up through the rubble. You've dealt with hardships. You know what it's like to scrap you know what it's like to not have enough, not have much. And so you have that drive, you have that desire, and you know what it means to work for what you want. So yeah, it's all about being uncomfortable. Think about a baby bird when it learns how to fly. It's in the nest, it's getting bigger, it's starting to flap its wings a lot. It's crowded with its siblings and they're getting bigger and so everyone's getting pretty uncomfortable. And so it's time to get out of the nest, and they're going to take a risk. One bird is eventually going to jump and start to fly. And they really put their lives on the line. You think about some of these birds that are actually um, born on cliffs, the puffin. They'll jump off a cliff and really take a risk. So it's all about getting uncomfortable. You have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. All right, so you might be wondering, how do you handle being uncomfortable? How do you stick through for the long haul? And one way that I I love to think about, and this is a quote that's probably a little bit overused. It's actually the background to the computer that I'm looking at right now. No kidding. But um, it's Burn the Ships. And Burn the Ships is a quote that is actually associated with a famous explorer from the 1500s named Hernan Cortez. He's known for conquering the Aztec Empire. And when he was going from Cuba to the Yucatan Peninsula, he had a contingency of people, horses, ships. And when they took the land, they uh, he ordered that his men burn the ships. 
so that there was no turning back. He had some people who were questioning whether or not they should do this, and so he burned the ships. That way they had no way to turn back, which I absolutely love. And the mindset there is, look, if you have no way of turning back, if you have no way of going the other direction, if you're uncomfortable, you have no choice now but to deal with being uncomfortable and power through it. And I'll tell you, 99 times out of 100, you're going to succeed because you're going to find a way to succeed because you don't have a choice. So whenever you feel like you're uncomfortable and you kind of want to turn back, in your mind, tell yourself that you've burned the ships. There's no going back. You're going forward. And maybe there's a way for you to metaphorically burn the ships, whatever that case may be. So uh, that's something that I use a lot. And associated with this burn the ships mentality is, you know, just taking the first step, just, just moving. Most people don't even take the first step because they, in their mind, don't know what all the steps are. What are all the steps that I need to take to get to my goal? But you got to realize by just taking the first step, you'll realize that there's another step in front of you. So you don't really need to know all the steps. You just need to take that first step. When you get there, you're going to realize that you can see the next step. And then when you take that one, you're going to realize you can take the next step and another and another. So do not worry if you don't know all the steps. Just get moving. Burn the ships. Take the first step. All right, it's time to affirm. Affirm to yourself that your comfort zone doesn't matter. Say to yourself, I like being uncomfortable because comfort is the enemy. Being uncomfortable is my friend. Say to yourself, I know I am growing when I am uncomfortable. Affirm, I learn from pain. Affirm, I enjoy the process, the struggle, the come up. Affirm to yourself, I am becoming great and greatness is achieved through adversity, through being uncomfortable. All right, guys, that's it for now. Hope everything's going well out there and I hope this helped you in some way, shape or form. Until next time, I'll see ya.